Before we look together this morning at another book of wisdom from the Bible, I want to ask you if you could please make a part of your prayers Ignacia Asierta and Imelda Muhammad and their family. Ignacia, Imelda's mother, has cancer, I think as most of us know, that appears to be on the brink of taking her from this earthly physical life and transitioning her into a new life before the Lord. These final days here are not easy, and I ask that you pray that God will free Ignacia from physical pain and that he will free her children from the immense pain that goes with seeing the final days of someone you love. And actually, what Ignacia and Imelda and their family are experiencing is not far removed from the thoughts I'd like to share this morning from Ecclesiastes, as in many ways it has to do with life and death and what is truly meaningful when it comes to the ultimate questions we often ask as human beings. You know, if I was to ask Ignacia this morning about the meaning of life, I have a hundred percent confidence that she would talk about Jesus. And if we were to wait a while longer when either she or when maybe another of us, maybe me, makes the transition from earthly life to spiritual life through death, she or we would talk about the new spiritual realities that we now understand. We would say that we're now walking by sight and not by faith, walking by what we see. And what I want to say this morning, along with some help from the ancient writer of Ecclesiastes, is that it is these new coming spiritual realities, what happens after death, that ultimately gives life meaning. They give everything meaning, that without them it is hard to see meaning in much of anything. Now this is interesting, because recently we did a study in a book by John Ortberg called Eternity is Now in Session. Remember that? In which Ortberg makes the point, and, and we made the point, that we've already started living our eternal lives now. And I think the Bible teaches that's true. We aren't just waiting for death and to be lifted out of this world into our new spiritual life with God, free from the grief of this world. Instead, we have purpose now. We need to live for God and his kingdom now. And not just be biding our time waiting for heaven. Christianity isn't about just getting into heaven. But here's the question Ecclesiastes poses for us. If all of life ultimately ends in death, in nothingness, if it all becomes dust, including ourselves, then what real value is there in anything, including whatever good for God's kingdom that we think we're doing here on earth? His point is that the very moment of death, whatever meaning there was for us is gone if there is nothing after death, if there's no God to give life meaning. Instead, you just, you die, and the meaning is gone. And even if there was meaning in life and meaning in what we do here that we could point to, when you die, if there's nothing after this life, you wouldn't know anything about that meaning anyways. So the writer of Ecclesiastes is asking then a question about what it is that gives ultimate meaning to our lives, lived out now before God and for his kingdom. And what we're going to see is that according to the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, the purposes we have for living for God in his kingdom now only have meaning if God is real. And that life lived without the Lord is actually meaningless. In which case, if there's no God, we wouldn't now just be waiting for heaven and a chance to leave this world as Ortberg was so concerned about. We would be waiting actually for nothing. And neither we nor anything else would count for anything. That perspective of, of meaninglessness 
and nothing counting for anything is actually a, a view that many in the world hold. Do you, do you know what nihilism is? It's the idea that ultimately we can't really know anything, can't really find value in anything, and that therefore life is actually meaningless. And what I would argue this morning, based on a reading of Ecclesiastes, and this might, this might surprise you a bit, is that if there is no God, the nihilist actually got it right. Who are we and what are our accomplishments in the vastness of the world if there is no God? Now, I have to tell you, the first few times I read Ecclesiastes, uh, which I'd love to have you turn to now, by the way, because I want to read a bunch of Ecclesiastes together with you this morning, and, um, and so please turn there. The first few times I read Ecclesiastes, I actually wondered why it was in the Bible. You know, I'm by nature fairly optimistic, I think most people would say. And since I became a Christian, even more so. But what is this book doing in the Bible? The most common word in this book is the word meaningless. Look, look at the first couple of verses. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And so in the first two verses, the writer of Ecclesiastes has already said that things are meaningless four times. Then the writer goes on. And I'm doing some picking and choosing here for the sake of time, but you're going to get the point. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Verse 3 says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. In other words, our lives don't really impact things all that much. Verse 8 says, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. Verse 10 says, Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new? No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Now, this doesn't really sound like it's going to be a very encouraging read. This sounds, in fact, just like the nihilist. It's all worthless. It's all meaningless. People work away, generation after generation, but they have no real impact. There's not anything new that happens. Nothing changes so as to give meaning to anything. And at death, whoever you were counts for nothing, as verse 11 says. In fact, not even your own family in coming generations are going to remember who you were. Wow. Now there's a cynical perspective. But I would have to say when I think about it, that ultimately... It's the most realistic view. The author isn't thinking about God's interaction with humankind at this point. He's just thinking about the reality of each of our lives. And the fact is that much of life, and especially if there's nothing after life, is actually just meaningless. You know, I can tell you very little about my grandfathers because I never knew either one of them. I can tell you virtually nothing about my great-grandparents, only a few stories that I've heard. I don't know their names, don't know where they came from. I only heard that my great-grandfather on my dad's side died when he and his brother got in a drunken argument, and my great-grandfather fell down some stairs and subsequently died from the injuries that he got in that fall. I don't know the, the names of those uh, who were in that, that argument. I don't know my great-grandfather's name and his brother. I don't know the dates. I don't know the location. I don't know anything about this. 
And that's my dad's grandfather, not really very far removed from me. I can't really tell you anything about those who've gone before me. And I know what you're thinking. Well, you need to get on Ancestry.com, Kelly. They'll tell you everything. But you know what? Even if I could find out way more about my family, I'm not sure it would matter all that much in the big picture. Certainly, they would be part of my story. They've shaped who I am. I get that. But even knowing lots of information about them isn't going to suddenly make everything I do meaningful. You know, I sometimes make furniture. I've made an oak bench that sits in our entryway. I've made a couple of sets of shelves that are in an office we have in our home. I made some nightstands that now go with a bed Robin's father made. I made a coffee table that sits in our living room. And something I like to do when I make something like this is to inscribe on the back or on the bottom of the projects I make my name and the date. I have hopes that these things will stay in my family and that they will mean something to someone. I'm a legacy-building kind of guy. I'm really intentional about it. It means a lot to me, actually as much as to anyone I know, maybe because I know so little of my own story, like I just said. And so I want to pass something on and create a new story for my descendants, and especially one that includes Christ. Maybe they'll remember me. Maybe my story will mean something to them. Maybe it will help shape who they are. I also have some of what we might say are some hunting tools. Okay, I, I have some guns. I have some rifles and a couple of shotguns. And I really like the idea of passing them on to my grandchildren. It will give them something to remember me by. Maybe as they grow older, we'll hunt together using these rifles and shotguns. And they'll have a sweet memory. Something to pass on to their own children about hunting with their grandfather. Maybe there is real legacy there. Well, what's interesting is that I think the writer of Ecclesiastes, if I was to ask him about all this, would actually say that in a sense, I'm just wasting my time. That all this legacy keeping I'm trying to do may work for me and my kids and maybe their kids, but will the next generation after that really care? At some point, there may be no more hunters in my family. At some point, furniture styles may have changed so much that no one will see value in the things I've made. They will become old or damaged or out of date, and they ultimately will turn to dust. Someday, there's a good chance that something I poured my time and sweat into, hoping to leave a legacy, is going to end up getting burned, or tossed into a landfill, or sold at a garage sale to someone who will discover my name on the bottom or the back of that piece, and they will have no idea who I am. Or even if the pieces I made stay in my family over time and over generations, well, I'll only become a name on the bottom, or back of some shelf, or a name listed on some web page, something on Ancestry.com for them to look up, listed with a bunch of other names and a family tree. And honestly, none of that feels very good. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, stop with the cynicism and the negativity. Stop with the meaninglessness. Give us something hopeful and positive. But folks, all we've done is read the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is actually filled with such wonderful encouragement. Well, I have to admit that as I read this book, what becomes clear is that it's not just cynical and calloused. The fact is, the book of Ecclesiastes is realistic. 
In fact, it's one of the most honest, realistic things I've ever read. When everyone else, including me a lot of the time, wants to give a message that came right out of Pollyanna, the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us the way it is. Someday, my cherished furniture and my Winchester Model 70s are going to be passed on to someone who isn't going to care about them or want them. And they won't really know who I am. And with the busyness of life and its burdens and all the pressures of building their own lives and legacies, they aren't going to really care or think very often about me. What I treasure will, in the words of Jesus, be destroyed by rust, eaten by moths, and will turn to dust. And Ecclesiastes confirms this. Whether it's wealth or possessions or labor and legacy or even human wisdom itself, it all becomes nothing. Listen to these words from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. And as far as the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is concerned, even wisdom, because it's human wisdom, isn't going to last. Look at chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and everyone comes, uh, so they de- and just as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. And so there's a summary of his perspective in, in say, chapter 2, verse 17. He comes to the conclusion that that life is not a good thing. He says, So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. Then chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked and the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who don't. 
the same destiny overtakes them all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. <laughs> Not a very encouraging picture. So what do we do with this? Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes actually gives us two main answers that I think are great answers for what we do in answer to all of this meaningless. The first is that despite everything, the best pursuit is to pursue wisdom. Chapter 7, verses 11 and 12 say this, Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing, and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom actually preserves those who have it. Wisdom makes one person wise. It makes them more powerful than ten rulers in a city. He doesn't deny that ultimately wisdom will also pass away, especially if it's human wisdom. And he makes this point at several places, but at least it's far superior as something to seek in life than all the things that so quickly become dust. And then the second thing he says is that to give God his place in our lives is the best pursuit of all. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. But then he says, this is the gift of God. And it is recognizing that this is a gift of God that actually gives happiness and goodness and satisfaction and toil their value. They have no value unless God is considered as their source. Nothing material and nothing inside ourselves, no satisfaction is truly satisfying in itself. Only when God is considered in the big picture does anything in life actually matter. And so he continues in verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. So again, it's God who gives life and the things of life value. Meaningfulness is only found in God's gift of understanding as he gives purpose and meaning because what he does will last forever. Realistically, if one doesn't acknowledge God and, a, and his role and place in life, then life on its own is meaningless. We have no valuable legacy. As we've seen in recent days, even historical monuments are eventually torn down, maybe by an angry crowd. You know, during World War II, thousands of artifacts were destroyed in numerous museums. And that which happened in history, suddenly, in a bomb blast, became dust. Or, in our time, it becomes a Jeopardy question. And that's going to happen consistently throughout history. So the writer goes to chapter 12, and he says these things, and these are wise words that we need to hear. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble, uh, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, "I find no pleasure in them." Remember Him. Before the silver cord is severed, 
and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. In other words, remember him before all is shattered and before our own lives end. If we don't, then otherwise, he says in verse 8, meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then he concludes with these words. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all humankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. He is what will give all of creation meaning, purpose. And without him, everything else we try is simply meaningless. What are you toiling after? Where do your priorities rank? Seeking something other than the Lord and his wisdom would seem to be meaningless and striving after wind. What are you striving after? I pray that ultimately you're striving after the Lord. That's the only way in which life can actually have meaning for us, is to pursue God and to end things just the way the writer of Ecclesiastes says, pursuing him, honoring the creator of our youth.